I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the second installment of an extra special episode on this podcast. It's a podcast snapshot of a fantastic new contemporary classical festival that took place in Stroud in September this year. My name's Ben Corrigan and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. I got an invite out of the blue from the festival organisers Alex Hobbis and Adam Hinks to bring my podcast along to the festival and interview a handful of the artists that took part as well as some of the label runners behind those artists. It was a really amazing weekend and the first instalment of the podcast is available now so if you haven't heard that yet maybe go back and listen to that first although you don't have to. There's nothing here that's very sequential that you need to know. This episode basically features the artists that were involved in the second day of the festival. First, we're going to talk to Claire M. Singer, who's a composer, organist and cellist. The music underneath is hers. It's a track called Solas. Also in this episode, an interview with Dave Howell, who runs the classically influenced record label 130701. And in the second half, there's two interviews with two erased tapes artists. The first is Hattis Noe, a vocalist and improviser, and the second is Lubomir Melnik, a pioneering pianist and a man of many interesting thoughts. Just before we jump into Claire's interview, I want to say a huge thank you to Tom and Sean at Sound Records, who gave me space in their back room to do a lot of these interviews over the whole weekend. It's a really great shop, and their knowledge of music is vast. So if you're ever in Stroud, pop in. They're really lovely blokes. There's not much more to say, really, other than I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm going to include a bit of music from all the artists that played on Sunday so you can get a feel for the atmosphere and the energy in St. Lawrence Church, the venue that hosted Hidden Notes Festival. So let's get going. This is the first interview with Claire M. Singer. Okay, so Claire M. Singer, I can't believe this moment has happened. How long have I been trying to get a microphone in front of you? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe a couple of years. <laughs> so many. <laughs> yeah. Finally, the elusive Claire Singer is here. <laughs> um, I've been chasing you down for ages because I love your music. It's fantastic. And Thank you. Yeah. It's just so excitingly droney, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it is droney. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're really busy doing a tour of lots of your music. Yeah, I've got one more date left now. So, but it's just been pretty intense. I've never played so many shows so close together before. Yeah. And obviously, because it's a different organ every time, it gets quite stressful because I have to hold all that information in my head. Like I have to visit before and really get to know the organ, and then hold that in my head, and then go yeah. to another organ, and then not get confused about which organ I'm with. And it's yeah. been hardcore. Yeah. 
Yeah. You speak about them like they're people. I do, You've yes. Got to learn their, uh, <laughs> that has been pointed characters. out before. Yeah. But yeah, I think of them as people. Yeah, got to learn their annoyances and uh, Exactly. Perks. And I mean, that's the brilliant thing about working with organs, that you do get to learn... You know, each one is very different and they have their own personality. Mm. And then you try to fit your kind of music around it. Or if you get commissioned, then you can really kind of exploit those yeah. really cool quirks that they have. It's intense. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, Have you met any nice organs and spaces recently? I played in Chichester Cathedral a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And it was probably the biggest organ that I've played. Just the acoustic and everything was absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, it took me like four visits to prepare for that one. Because also, you know, I play with the wind and the stops. Mm -hmm. So mechanical action. So it's not only learning, you know, the colours of those stops, but also every incremental sound between your first, like, pulling out that stop to fully engaged. Yeah. So there's, like, a whole other world of sounds that I have to also learn because you can't just rock up on the day and start doing that because sometimes stops don't come out, you know, like, the pitch doesn't bend as smoothly as others. So yeah. you need to know everything. So uh, <laughs> with pulling out a stop, that's the effect is it that a note will bend to a different pitch? I yeah. don't know the mechanics. Of so usually, so there's two kind of types of stops. There's stops which are called mechanical stop action. And basically that means that you can control how much wind goes through the pipe. Yeah. So if you pull out the stop a little bit, then you'll get a tiny kind of bit of air going in and it'll just start to make the pipe whistle. Okay. And so that's what yeah. you hear in my music, like 90% of my sound is just playing mm -hmm. with that kind of the wind in the pipes. Yeah. But then there's other type of stop action, which is electric stop action. So you can pull out as slowly as you like, but it's a switch that goes on or off. So you're just going to okay. get the sound pure tone okay. on or off. Now, speaking to other like trained, because I'm not a trained organist, I'm a okay. cellist that came to the organ. <laughs> right. um, they don't even really think about the stop action because they're just pulling out stops and getting the different sounds that they need. I see. So then there's the whole kind of thing of trying to find out which organs are mechanical stop and they don't right. always write it on the specification so then I'm like studying photos of the console and like trying to figure it all out so um <laughs> Why yeah, the hell did you every, start making music on every organs? part of a tour from planning it, choosing the organs yeah. to learning the organs is pretty massive. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, you've made your life pretty difficult there. Yeah. Why? Why did you ditch the cello? I didn't ditch it. It's on my albums as well, cello, organ, and electronics. I just okay. can't play them both at the same time, and it's easier for me to, you know, obviously, organ is a huge part of what I do in yeah. my music now. And so I usually have a cellist that plays the parts that I play on the album. Great. Which is what's happening today. And also the organ today is not mechanical stops. So that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. I don't tend to play a lot of shows that have electric stop action because yeah. obviously I lose kind of my whole palette of sound. Uh -huh. So I had to pre-record windy parts Right. on Henry, which is the organ at Union at Chapel. Union Chapel. <laughs> so Henry. I have to play along with the windy parts. It all becomes really quite tricky and play with mm. a click track. Oh, and yeah, yeah so it it's but not as organic as me yeah. just coming in and playing everything. So that's kind of the extremities of like how prepared you need to be 
and you, I guess, did that before the tour, just in case you came up against Yeah, like I actually, yeah, I did it quite a couple of years ago. I started doing it because I was starting to be offered, like, bigger shows that, you know, they couldn't, there wasn't a mechanical soft organ, but I didn't want to say no because it was a beautiful space and it was a really great concert. Yeah. So then I started working on a workaround, but I still now try to find as many mechanical stop yeah. action organs as I can because yeah. that's, like purely completely live and uh, yeah, I bet much more fun for amazing. me as well yeah yeah, yeah. Um, not that really... today isn't going to be fun but just it's like <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts so <laughs> yeah i can't wait to hear it i've been waiting a long time to hear it live um I'll have to come to a mechanical stop organ gig though yeah. this time, so I can hear those pitch bends. <laughs> I should put that on the poster, whether it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not going to that one, that one. Yeah. Did you just wake up one day and think, I want to make organ music? No. So I played cello from the age of six and then piano from like 10, 11. Yeah. And I played in bands a lot. So I played keyboards and okay. accordion and stuff. And then I was doing my master's at Goldsmiths and I got commissioned to write for the Sound Festival in Aberdeen. Okay. And there's a professor there called Roger Williams who was looking after the organ there and I know him really well. And he was like, I really want you to write me a piece. And I was writing like really kind of hardcore electronic stuff at that point just all in the studio and so I said to him I was like are you sure you want me to write your piece and then we met at King's and Aberdeen and yeah once I met the organ I just could not believe how amazing it was it's like the world's first synthesizer Uh and I started getting them to pull out stops really slowly and he was down on his hands and knees and I'm like could you just press that pedal just ever so slightly and then I was hooked and that's when I wanted to start a festival and I wanted to write more organ music but it wasn't until I got the job at Union Chapel Mm -hmm. which was about eight years ago now that then I had the keys to Mm. this absolutely amazing organ yeah so i used to just sit for hours after shows and then develop my own way of playing and so that's how you know then i started using chopsticks and playing with the wind myself Mm -hmm. and then really creating pieces that now i couldn't score for someone else yeah so it i became a kind of weird organist yeah you are And that was that. yeah finally the organ came along and made sense of you yeah (laughs) and i tell you like I I can't believe it took me so long to discover it because I feel like I feel very much at one with the instrument. It's just very you. It's all I kind of, I know you for that sound. And I was saying this to your friend, Galia, isn't Galieva, my enemy. No, she's my friend too. Um, (laughs) You know, that no one makes drone music like you. (laughs) There is no one. The chopsticks you mentioned just then people might be like why unless you mentioned chopsticks <laughs> can you tell us why you mentioned chopsticks that's what they think at the airport when i bring yeah. um yeah so basically in order to create these drones um yeah. and play over the top of them and also have hands free to be able to because often you'll find if you look at me when i'm playing i'm actually i've got both hands off the keyboards and i'm playing with the stops and playing with the wind um, and I've got chopsticks basically to hold down different notes so I can then do that with my hands. Yeah. And then I kind of also use straws depending on the action of the organ. So I'm developing yeah. a whole kit sure. yeah. that I yeah. bring around for different organs. Yeah, of course, yeah. And you might, how much time do you need to learn You know, enough to put on the performance that you're comfortable with? Well, so this show I visited twice 
and then I'm going to play the show. But generally, I like to do maybe three or four visits if possible. Right. But it's just because I've had so many dates back to back that I couldn't. So Chichester Cathedral, which was mechanical, so I had to know it even better. Yeah. That was four four visits really yeah and I remember when I was playing um, in Amsterdam I played a show with Lowe at the Vestekirk and I had to get to know that organ also to kind of prepare them like show Steve exactly what stops were what yeah. so I think I was flying over like for the day to practice and back again because I not only had to learn my set but I wanted to be as prepared as possible for them to tell them okay you should use a stop and this stop and this stop why are you smiling um, so much work yeah that's, yeah that's um, ridiculous. but it was like yeah. my most favorite show of all time yeah. so yeah amazing yeah you love low don't you love low yeah yeah your music 20 minute pieces like Fej, the pacing of everything is just so spot on like how how on earth do you know how to shape a piece like that is it planned out or do you just go with is, you know, the flow. I mean, all of my pieces kind of come out of me improvising and just sitting down with the organ and um, slowly kind of working things out. But I've never, you know, I've, I've come from, I obviously studied classically, but when I was at Goldsmiths, I was very much into experimental music and have a particular kind of ear for that kind of pacing. Yeah. And so for me, it's just a natural thing that comes out of me kind of experimenting and then slowly writing things down until at the end of the day everything is scored or kind of like yeah. the mall and diner that I play it can vary from like 25 minutes to 30 depending on when I want to move to the next note uh, yeah. um, but I just kind of in a live situation always depends on how I feel of how long I take to make the next decision or not mm. Um, and with the live situation, often people talk about bouncing off the audience and going off the energy of the room, but you're playing an organ, so you're probably like in a pit with, if anything, a tiny mirror to see you yeah, know, a, which a I fraction take down. of the audience, yeah. which you take down. Yeah. <laughs> so how, what, you know, what headspace is it for you? It's to do more a about gig? me and the organ. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because usually I am, you know, behind a pulpit or yeah. up high or something, so I can't, yeah. I don't have that much interaction with the the audience, but yeah. it's more about the organ and I and mm. that kind of relationship. There's something really nice about that from an audience perspective, just especially that music that just goes from a tiny, tiny little sound and yeah. grows and fills the room over such a you know long period of time. To kind of take the human away makes it more yeah. hefty and you know, add more gravitas to it. The whole way into the organ and that kind of thing, pretty romantic story. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's love at first sight. <laughs> Love at first stop. It was. Yeah. It really was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Claire, I think this is the best day ever because you finally <laughs> showed up to talk to me. Thanks. Well, Appreciate it. Um, thank you. I, I mean, that's all I have to ask you, really. Cool. Until you come on and do a full episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sounds good. You're listening to a relatively short extract of Ferge, the 20-minute piece that we touched upon in Claire's interview.
person you'll be hearing from is Dave Howell. He's an enthusiastic field recordist, if that's the term, and he brought along a bunch of his microphones to capture a few recordings in and around the church that we can include in this episode. So I'm very grateful that he's done that, and you'll hear a few of those clips dropped into his interview. But his most time-consuming role in life is running the brilliant record label 130701, which we're going to focus on in our chat. And here is said chat, recorded in a back room of the church. Are you yeah. excited about the lineup and yeah, the, I am. the vibe of the festival? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Sort of excited to see people play, because I've, I've only seen, I think it's only Hattis I've seen play so far before. Mm. And I, I really like Claire's work, Claire Emerson. Yeah, who is um, sound checking behind us, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm excited to see you. Her play. Yeah, um, same. Yeah. So uh, you are a label runner. You know, I've been working at Fat Cat for 22 years, I think now, yeah. um, from the start of the label. And um, one of the acts I brought in set fire to flames, which was a kind mm. of like 13 piece collective from Montreal using a lot of members of Godspeed Your Black Emperor. Like, I, I kind of brought that in and we set up 130701 specifically for that and it just kind of grew from there really Yeah. and took on a life of its own. So how many years after Fat Cat had started did 130701 kind of um, kick into action? So 130701 started on July 2001 so yeah, yeah it was like three years. Oh so quite quickly then. So have you been drawn yeah. to that kind of world of classical? I suppose before we started working on Sylvain Chavot which mm. was the second release I don't think I'd put any piano music out at all and I and my knowledge of kind of that world classical music especially I'm still not very knowledgeable about it really sure. I just kind of you know I came from a all over the place background from sort of psychobilly through to kind of Indian um, industrial and electronic and and you know Fat Cat was this big meeting place of ideas so you know it's always been about finding interesting things whatever they are whether yeah. it's you know the first sort of year of our releases we I think people were expecting Fat Cat to be something particular, and, yeah. it, and, it, and it wasn't because our interests were all, you know, we were just getting excited yeah. about stuff all over the place. Yeah. I don't think anyone would expect us to put out something like Sigur yeah. Ross, you know, sure, we were yeah. expecting like Jeff Mills or Carl Craig or something like that. It, it's always been about expanding and learning and sort mm. of stretching yourselves, and, and 13071 has been kind of a part of that, really. Set Fire to Flames release, first of all. And then Sylvain Chavot came along and sort of we decided to stick him on this imprint. And then Max Richter came on along the year after that. And then, only then did it start to write, okay, this should be the identity of the imprint. It should have a clear identity. And it's based around artists using traditional classical instrumentations or some sort of modes or quirks of classical in a new way. There's been a massive swamp of people over the last five years particularly coming in making sort of piano music that sounds like Oliver Arnold's, Max Richter, yeah. Nils Farmer, and it's like I'm kind of more interested in things that are moving away from that, but that yeah. still stick to true to that initial idea that we stumbled upon. Mm -hmm. So yeah. hence things like Resina or, you know, Ian William Craig or people yeah. using things in different ways rather than people using things that sound quite easily it's... taggable and, you know, boxable. Yeah. Here's a little window into the broad spectrum of artists and music released through 130701. This is Set Fire to Flames, a track from that very first album Dave mentioned. Steel Compass, Drive North, Disappear. Max Richter, Vladimir's Blues.
Olivia Allery for it. Farouche separation from the Only You soundtrack. Sattva by Dmitry F. Grafov. Fairly recent release, Futo by Shida Shahabi. who's sort of cooking something on the hob at the moment that's I've interesting. I've got lots of people I've got. <laughs> last year was crazily busy and this year's been pretty quiet and next year I think is going to be insanely busy because right. at the moment it looks like we've got maybe eight or eight to sort of ten or eleven releases albums wow. coming out so okay. I've got Resina will be recording, um, Shida Shahabi will be will be turning in a new album, Emily's supposedly, Emily Levine's Farouche's supposedly finishing an album by the end of the year. Um, there's a new Ian William Craig album that's already that's already done and dusted. Um, there, there's a 
Dmitry Evgrafov album. Yeah. There's an Olivier Allery album oh that's God. kind of 90% <laughs> done. And then I'm currently speaking to three new artists at the moment. New artists, oh, right, okay. I mean, that's nine records there. Wow, yeah. So it, it's kind of, yeah, a little bit, ah! <laughs> Sounds like long-form shift yeah. work. One yeah. year of intensity, yeah. chill out a bit. Well, Another yeah, it's like a, a year lying fallow. Yeah. But even, yeah, it's, it's not fallow, really, because it's still <laughs> crazy busy. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a good, good so, year next year. Oh, so there's so many different artists, and how do you, as the person who runs the label, support each one? individually what's your approach to that keeping good direct contact with the artists you know talk through their ideas and get an understanding of what they're doing and uh, yeah it's just trying to keep the communication with them all open and yeah. just you know uh, i think all the people we work with are, are, you know i've got a massive amount of respect for and they're all really amazing creators just talking to people about what they're listening to so that you can find stuff out or they can you know help guide people like you know there might be something that i know that you can sort of, oh, would you go check this out? And this would be yeah. really interesting for you. Yeah. And I learned so much from all the artists. And, you know, I'm not sure how much use my guidance is, but, you know, I'm 50 years old now, so yeah. I've kind of been around and the block a bit. And you're still doing it, so it can't be going, well, you know, bad. yeah, here. I mean, I just love what I do. You know, yeah. So it's a passion, and, I, and you know... What, what, what do you love most about doing this? I really like the interaction with artists, and I really like that kind of mentoring thing sometimes when, when you can... You know, when you see something in arts and you and maybe you can help them join dots between things or turn them on to something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. Or just kind of, you know, I, I, I went to art school, so I did like five, six years in art school. And so kind of got quite a good visual grounding as well, as well as writing. And so you can help, you know, just, just trying to realise projects. I mean, I guess what I do essentially is look out for artists that I find are doing something really interesting mm. and then you try and build a team around them, you know, whether it's management, um, publisher, booking agent, but then also you're trying to coax the best record you can get out of that yeah. person and not just the way it sounds, but the way it looks, yeah. you know, so we work with a brilliant designer called Dave Thomas, mm. who has done at some point most of the Fat Cat and 130701 records yeah. and he has an amazing sort of visual sense as well so it's this kind of you know you're sort of talking with him about things and he's talking with the artist and you're trying to create this kind of holistic whole around the record so yeah. understand the artist's vision what they're trying to do and trying to represent that as best as you can to as high quality as you can and so the whole thing looks really strong and sounds really strong you know the touring is joined up and create this really strong thing that isn't yeah. just an album but it's it's the visuals it's the tour yeah. it's the other little things they might do creatively around the record yeah. whether that's teasers or videos yeah. or just making it be as solid as you yeah. can here's a field recording dave made after we spoke Thank you. 
He was stood recording in the porch of the church while Spindle Ensemble were sound checking, along with some uh, sound checking birds outside. The final bit of chat with Dave is about his field recording work and one particular project that got him into it more heavily and gave him a, an outlet for it, but also how much he enjoys making field recordings as a meditative exercise. I moved out from London to Portishead four years ago, sort of got heavily back into going and recording and actually managed to stumble on this project called A Forgotten Landscape, which is um, was a kind of heritage lottery project looking at a particular area not far from here, just down 10, 20 miles south of here called the Lower Seven Vale, which is kind of like a strip of floodplain that's kind of bordered by the M5 on one side and the Seven on the other and goes down sort of to the, to the Avon. And it's a kind of area where all my family are from, my, my extended family. And I found this project, they were looking to sort of preserve some of the history and some of the voices of lots of isolated rural villages that are very small and where lots of traditional practices are kind of dying out now. So it was a big cider-making area. Salmon fishing, people would fish in putcher ranks out in the Severn, which died out about 15 years ago, um, which had been a practice that had gone back quite a few centuries, where people had these massive baskets, racks of baskets that stretched out into the Severn. And it was a really dangerous thing to do, and people didn't make that much money from it. And so they, they, they were trying to preserve the character and a bit of the history of this landscape with a practice of oral history recording. And so it's a lot of these old characters that um, have this beautiful old West Country dialect, this really sort of warm kind of burr. And I became part of that, so I started going and recording some of the people. At the same time, I'd been gathering a lot of sounds from the landscape for a year or so before this. And I'd never, I hadn't really had a focus to do anything with it, and I hadn't had the time to actually bring it to any kind of fruition point so I basically built up a library of like hundreds of hours worth of recordings yeah and this project sort of gave me suddenly a focus to actually use voices within it and it was a, it was there was an emotional attachment because it's a family kind of home as well so yeah I really kind of dived in and started finishing things yeah. rather than just having sure, yeah. things sitting around so I go out recording a lot and I actually really enjoy the process of really? being out there yeah. rather than thinking about the end point so whether you're just yeah. sitting out in yeah. the mud in the, in in the you know in the estuary mm. listening to the curly singing around you and you know yeah. aircraft flying above over above or a, you know a container ship coming past you and yeah. just being in that moment and listening yeah. and not thinking about Deep listening else, and meditating. You know, it's really good. And, yeah. It's a really good yeah, it's practice to just to do. get out. And I think yeah. it really helps me with my, you know, find a space for work. It gives you another perspective just listening through a microphone yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah, Rather totally. Your, you know, totally. You focus real. and you're just listening and yeah. just kind of, you're not thinking about, you know, a screen or what yeah. am I going to, you know, yeah. What, yeah. What's, where do I go next? You know, you're just sort of yeah. there. Should recommend that as a therapy, really. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it really is. I really think it's helped me a lot with, with more, you know, especially last year with the workload. Yeah. So where can people hear this collection? If you just search online for a forgotten landscape, type my name in the search engine. There, there's a they've sort of collected a page with all the sort of soundscapes. Yeah. So about eight of them, or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 They're yeah, all so. very different. And all yeah, I tried really to make beautiful. them all different and sort of have this kind of holistic. There's a sort of a narrative, a journey that yeah. you're kind of taking on sonically as well as yeah. kind of through what the people are, you know, telling and saying. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant picture. 
that is painted is fantastic. I really enjoy listening to it. Yeah. I think we might have to leave it yeah, at that that's point, fine. but it's just, yeah, brilliant. I'm going to grab some yeah. sounds around the yeah. church for you. Yeah, so, that would be amazing. And would, for you. And now that yeah. I know you love doing it anyway, yeah. so that uh, <laughs> makes me feel less guilty. Cool. Yeah, nice. Here's two more short recordings that Dave made. The first is Dave shutting a big heavy door behind him and then walking through the church, capturing a little bit more of the spindle ensemble sound check. The second is a small clip of Hattis Noe's set later that night, and that should link us in nicely to my interview with her. Here we were chatting about, I'd seen you perform live before oh. at Earth at Hackney, supporting Colin Setson. Mm. And you know, it's just a really overpowering experience, mm. your music. And Thank you. The way that you combine your voice and field recordings is just really magical. Oh, thank you. So, did you grow up in nature, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I was born in Hokkaido in Japan. Uh, especially the area is called Shiretoko, is a national heritage in Japan. Uh, so I was totally surrounded by the nature and wild animals. Yeah, sadly I moved out from there I when I was six years old, but mm -hmm. uh, clearly my body and spirit remember that. Mm. I can always like remember or feel the sound and energy from there in my body yeah mm. it's very evident in your music then it really <laughs> channels you. through oh sweet yeah um i think i've heard you describe your music as uh primitive mm -hmm. and like the kind of influences that you mm. include in your vocal style like where mm. do they where do they come from yeah i mean first of all i really love the sound of human voice just very raw and contains full of energy of our species as mm. a human being, human nature. So I really love listening to and feel our sound from our body, the voice. Yeah, when I when I make my music, I just decided to use only the voice, 
Like for now, I use only my voice, but、mm. maybe for the future, possibly I can also work with someone's voice as well. So,、um, in general, the human voice is so beautiful. No one has the same voice ever, so we can totally identify or recognize whose voice is whose. And that means we have a gene from the past through our family tree. So, when I hear my voice or someone's voice, I can also feel the memory of Jin, memory of our history. So, what a beautiful instrument、yeah. the voice is. Yeah. yeah. The way that you approach your own voice、mm-hmm. has such range.、Mm. You can make these tiny, delicate sounds,、mm-hmm. these sounds that almost sound you know, non human. I am. And then you have this quite powerful,、mm. almost classical,、mm. strong sound that fills the room. And yeah, I, I wondered have you taught yourself to do this? Is it through experimenting? Have、mm. you been through any training specifically to do certain things? Yeah, I sometimes see someone who trained me specific technique of using voice.、Uh, for example, I've Been to the Indian Raga lesson, lesson in India, or I went to some training of Shima Uta in Japan from Amami Island, but not properly, like,、uh, yeah. like a, several years or something like that. Not like that.、Yeah. The way I develop my style of vocalization is just. Keep mimicking what I heard,、right. what I listened from、yeah. someone. I really like that because it's so, it's very simple and it's just exploring how to use my body by my ear to my throat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like that.、And、just like playing. Yeah, so are you, you said mimicking there, so you're.、Mm. I'm guessing you're mimicking the sounds、mm-hmm. of animals as well.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Um, yeah. Well, not very... only animals, even like a sound of、uh, leaves. Like,、wow. leaves sometimes make the sound like、mm. shh, or like mimicking the sound of water or、yeah. like that, or wind, everything、yeah. I can hear、yeah. from this world. Channeling nature through、oh, yeah. everything you do. <laughs> totally.、Yeah. I love that. Yeah. As I said, it was a very powerful thing、mm. to see live and it really communicates.、Mm. You've got a beautiful church to perform in today.、Oh. Do you enjoy these big spaces that you can just fill with layers、yeah. of your voice? Totally, totally.、Yeah. It's like, yeah, as you said, it's like channeling during my performances, channeling through my sound or voice, connecting to the audience. Or connecting to the space. I really love that.、Um, like singing or having performance is not only my doing something, it's more like feeling each other. Of course, when I sing, I try to feel myself deeper and deeper, but at the same time, I also try to feel the space and the audience, their mood and their energy. Of course, and also space has the energy or history, so it's very hard to verbalize、mm. that, but we can feel that very easily by body or、yeah. through the energy.
how do you start when you start a new piece of music? Ah, uh, yeah, it's in the beginning. It's, it was like just playing with my sound, <laughs> what I make, mm. what I can make by myself and by my body because I don't play any uh, instrument. So the voice is just only one my instrument. So yeah, why not I play with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have a big looping pedal thing, don't yeah. you? So you're mm -hmm. yeah, you're able to hmm. interact with you know the previous self that you've just put right. in there. Right. Yeah. 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 Sing with myself. <laughs> yeah. It's the choir of that is. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's an unusual thing, especially the way that you do it. I think. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The process that you have bring it on to me for one second this podcast normally what happens is i'll have a chat like this with mm. each different guest mm. and then in the afternoon we'll make a piece of music together oh. but using only one instrument oh, so for wow. example like just yeah. like you do mm -hmm. with the voice and mm. then you know manipulate things oh, wow. further so i have learned through this process how mm. much can be done with okay. just one sound source yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know it's amazing listening to your music mm. that you've got such a range of things going oh. on with just the voice yeah yeah for me um keep the things i do simple as much as possible yeah. as simple as possible it's very important because i don't know for the other people but for me, it's very easy to get lost mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> where I am. Yeah. So um, I always try to keep everything simple, especially for my performance. I have only looper as my equipment. That's very important for me. If mm. I have uh, many other equipment out, out of that looper, it uh, makes me distracted to connect the space and connect the moment. So totally. for me, most important thing to is to be focused yeah. to this moment. So yeah. yeah, especially for my performance, I always keep uh, everything yeah. simple. <laughs> Maybe I could have started playing some instrument in mm. the past. Sure. But somehow I decided not to. That also, I think it's the same meaning. Yeah. I just want to keep uh, what I do simple as possible. That makes my music just pure or mm. just energetic or just yeah. strong. Yeah, that's, that's the essence of you. It's <laughs> pure you. Yeah, so have you always sung? You've always been a singer from a young age? Yeah, I really love singing like since I was a child but to be honest I'm not sure right now about me but also I was horrible singer uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't believe you <laughs> uh, not me but my mother oh. <laughs> my mother or, or my family always I really loved singing so I always sing yeah I was always singing when I was a child, but my family always says, "Oh, your your voice is horrible. You're, you're not none of my note is correct, yeah. or yeah. something like yeah. that." Um, yeah, but I didn't listen to it no, <laughs> because don't, I just don't, that's not love good advice singing. Or, you know, I just love singing, so 
Yeah, and yeah. now I'm like this. <laughs> I think you can we can safely say you do it okay. for a living successfully. Okay. You don't need to listen to them. Yeah, <laughs> you're good. doing a good job, I'm sure. <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to hear tonight's set. Hear you again. Thank you. Um, will we expect new music at all? Or oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, yes. Um, currently, I'm making my new album, next album, and I'm gonna perform some of my new song tonight as well. Lovely. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that. When's the album out? Sometime in next year, yeah. hopefully. Sometime next year. <laughs> I will look every day to Thank see if you. it's the day. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Is there a name for the album? Oh, yet? Not yet. Okay, cool. Well, we'll all keep our eyes That's out. That's the hardest thing for me to uh, put any name on my works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very hard. Because it says so much, doesn't it? It changes the direction yeah. and the way people yeah, perceive yeah, yeah. it. Bavalizes kind of my least favorite thing yeah interesting music if only people could just have a sound for their album yeah it's very hard yeah. <laughs> um i'm sure you've picked something beautiful for it thank um, you thanks for chatting with me thank you very it's really much. lovely to speak to you you're free to go <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. cheers we're just gonna have a short stop off for an acast advert and then when we come back gonna get a little rundown of that day's proceedings a small clip from each artist Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The first act of the second day of the festival was a fantastic quartet called Spindle Ensemble. You've been hearing lots of their sound checks, but this is a recording from their actual set.
Next up that day, Claire M. Singer. Then it was the cellist and electronic artist Sebastian Plano treating everyone to his luminous cinematic soundscapes. Penultimate act of the night was Hattis Noe and her mesmerizing vocal textures.
And to top off the night, the headliner was Lubomir Melnik, a pianist and composer, and the final interview of this podcast. He's well known for creating and developing a piano technique that he calls continuous music, but more on that shortly when we get to the interview. This is a good example of continuous music in full flow. the Lubomir interview. There are some sounds going on in the room. Lubomir was preparing some merch for the evening, so there was quite a lot of paper rustling going on, so apologies for that, but I think it's fine. It's not really that distracting at all, and if anything, it puts you in the room. What else do you need to know about Lubomir? Uh, he's an erase tapes artist. Lubomir has a very unique perspective on life, and his devotion to continuous music and the spiritual experience that he gets from it, he wants to share. I'm set to go myself, okay. so you know, whenever you're okay, let's go. Yeah, thank you for chatting with me. You're the, the final act of the whole festival, and I'm excited to hear your music in you know, live form in a really beautiful space. Continuous music surely needs a beautiful space, and, yeah, it, yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> but uh, I think also the music has to transcend the room space too, taking people beyond just that, you know, bricks and mortar, yeah. Exactly. The music is sound, and, and if the sound is there, then it's worth hearing, <laughs> you know, mm. in, in the space. Yeah. Continuous music has been a, a lifelong relationship between you and well, what you since, do. Well, since, yeah, I, in a way, yeah, because I think even, even before it existed, I was already getting prepared for its creation. The birth of c- continuous music is the result of, of, of a an enormous preparatory process uh, planned by, I suppose people would say, the Almighty. Because if you removed any of the tiny elements that happened in my life, it wouldn't exist. It's not like a gold prospector going out into the mountains and finding gold. It's not like, you know, oh, I'm looking for a new music, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm in this building and I start playing, oh, Oh, something new, okay. Mm-hmm. No, no, this was prepared minutely with thousands of small details. Like, they're too countless to, to list, but, uh, I mean, one thing is, like, physically, I was very sporty as a young man, mm-hmm. you know, like, really, football. I loved the the gracefulness of, of sport. Uh, like, I trained my body and my mind Sports are very good because your mind has to 
be aware of many things. But when you're playing, for example, football, you have to be aware, you have to plan everything. Where's this person going to be in one second? They're running that way, how fast? Your mind is working in split second, mm. you know, coordinating mm. everything, what to do, what to do. Like, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal training. Uh, and then piano itself is phenomenal training too. If I had not been sporty, I wouldn't have the physical strength to do this music. This music is extremely demanding, mm. Mm. you know. Do you see yourself as an athlete? As an athlete, as a <laughs> through the music. as a F one Formula One racing car driver, as a uh, ballet dancer, and as a thinker, and uh, as a spiritualist. There's so many things. This music, you you cannot stop talking about it. This, it's an endless fountain of aspects and things. And many of them are based on physically what's happening to the pianist as you're playing. People don't understand the multi-dimensional universe that the pianist generates and lives, actively lives, uh, during the performance. It's very, very complex, and yet it's very easy. It's just that, you, you know there's that film uh, and I can't remember the title because like, <clears throat> a lot of good films have stupid titles, and the, <laughs> and so it means you can't remember them. Like a stupid title is you remember the film, but you can't remember the title. Yeah. Good films with good titles, you always remember the title. Yeah. But yeah. this film has stupid titles. <laughs> I, I, anyway, it's about this guy who takes this pill. It's sort of like a hyper acid. Uh, speedo type of thing where his broad mind of, uh, operates at limitless yes, yes 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 terrible name for, for that film like yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, limitless suggests something extremely sort of esoteric and that mm. sort of thing like philosophical this is more like real action mm. action drama suspense you know yeah whatever uh, but it's the same thing continuous music is what does that you don't need to take this pill Mm. continuous music automatically because you cannot play continuous music if your mind is not able to do yeah. this but for your mind to be able to do it your body has to be able to do it yeah. and that's that, that's the synthesis of the mind and the body so it's, it's very spiritual um, because when the mind and body unite they form a spiritual entity they are basically spiritual to begin with but when they unite the spirit, the spirituality of it becomes more intensified. Mm. I mean, before I forget, I mean, every every so often, like uh, it, it's not not every time I do a concert, but who knows? For some other people, maybe every concert they do. Uh, but the last concert I did, like, I'm, I'm always surprised that continuous music reveals new things mm. that never even imagined before. Because uh, I'm used to playing the piano. Uh, the, the keyboard is one plane, but it moves. It moves in time and in space. Like it's not really where the piano is. It can be a little bit above, a little bit below. It, it's movable. Mm. People won't see that, but for the pianist, it is. Okay. Uh, see, con continuous music brings the pianist in contact with the metaphysical, like like complete contact. It's not sort of like dream world it's um, for your body to do this you have to be almost like like a, a Zen Buddhist uh, monk or a samurai it's it's extremely high level martial arts mm. and at the highest level Kung Fu oh I have to say <laughs> hang on I, 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 I never now. think about the phone because <laughs> no one phones me
Okay, anyway, this is sort of preparing what happened because every so often, every, every few months, some new plateau is reached. Something metaphysical happens, something strange. At one point, I, I began to see the actual tone because I was playing these pieces and they're, they're very spiritual. And uh, it was the antiphons, the prayers. The action of the hand started to become extremely slow, like it was very fast, but like my mind was perceiving the movement in slow motion. People would see a, a, a lightning fast sort of action from, the, from, from my hand going bang, you know, but it's not. Uh, I was able to slow it down incredibly and, and sort of like even preparing the touch so that milli, like we're not, we're not even talking thousands of a second, we're talking of multiple thousands of a second. Before my finger actually came mm -hmm. in contact with the key, I was preparing for how that key was going to go down, because I know that key. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, The pianist enters into a truly beautiful, intimate relationship with the piano. I know all the keys, every single one of them. So I was able to prepare that touch, and then I was able to see white doves flying out of the piano, like really see them, you know? They weren't there, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they weren't really there, but they were spiritually there. And it was phenomenal, uh, this, this sense of being in touch with the, with the sound and the tone, and, and because the sound is, is united to the body. It's not as though I touch the piano and the sound results and I, and I remove my hand. My hand is living in the sound as the sound is functioning, mm -hmm. all right? People don't understand this, and it's really... I shouldn't even be saying these things, because, because people will think this is, this is like way out to bill. This is, you know, um, I'm not going to learn to play continuously. I mean, this sounds like absolutely wacky. Like, you know, it sounds like <laughs> Hare Krishna and, and, you know, some sort of transcendental meditation, which it's not. It's simply playing beautiful music, but your body changes. And so when I talk about the, the sound being inside my hand, they will understand. Right right now, if I had if I had heard me say this forty years ago, mm -hmm. I would say, Whoa, what what the hell what what are you talking about? You know, like this is, doesn't make sense. So pretty well nothing I say will make sense because people have never experienced that world. Yeah. But they will if, experience if someone was picturing it in that sense of martial arts, you know, doing Tai Chi or something yeah. like that, then People have seen movies made oh, about these uh -huh. things, yes, and, yes, yes, but yes. with oh, music, yes, 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 yes. it's no, no, different. But, oh, I'm very. I'm so glad you mentioned this because there is a film that portrays what the continuous pianist is like and what it is like okay. to be one, yeah. and that film is called Hero. Chinese okay. martial arts film. It's the greatest ever made. Uh, it's the only one that truly portrays. Reality.
You see, the concept of time, we have a very rudimentary concept of it. And actually, there is no time. It does not exist. And people think that when the last human being is gone from the face of the earth, that the world will keep turned, it will keep there, and the sun will keep shining, and the moon will keep smiling in the skies, you know, and the stars will keep shining. And they won't. Everything will just go poof. Everything. Because all time will stop. Time exists only because of the human body. And this, everyone will scream and shout, this is insane. Yeah. Look, what are well, the scientists are telling us? You know, the world yeah. is this many millions of years. They, they were, the world was here long before people were here, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't. Let's, let's not get in because people will think really ill of me. Already I should keep my mouth shut about a lot of things because... I think like, no one would feel ill of you, just like interested in what you have to no, say. No, because they, 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 people cannot believe because science has messed, has messed the minds up of, of humanity tremendously. Do you, do you understand? What I just said to you would have been totally, totally understood, not believed, but completely understood by people 500 years ago. And if you look at the film Hero, you will see what these masters do, these Kung Fu masters. And, and when you see it, do not think that this is a fantasy. You have to understand that this is real. I think it's important to give a stepping stone for understanding that right. people are already familiar with, like a movie. Yeah. So that as a point yeah. of reference is really yeah. fantastic. And what I do is real. And in the physical mm. world, what, what the continuous music pianist does is impossible. Mm. It's physically and mentally impossible. The same with the, with the Kung Fu masters in the film Hero. Mm. Everyone says this is impossible. It's not impossible. Mm. You have to understand, when I saw that film, uh, it was the first time I saw that someone understood this reality, mm. Mm. you know, and so, anyway, listen, I haven't, sorry for this noise, but I have to do it because I won't be ready for the concert. That's right? okay. So, okay, now, getting back, I still, see, I've been preparing, preparing, I've been trying to tell you for 10 minutes what happened at the last concert. Oh, right, okay. Right? I haven't so. gotten there yet. But I think people will understand now. Yeah. There's a reason to my madness about telling everyone this and all that, that, because now when I tell you, people will understand and say, oh, yeah, okay, now we're starting to get it. Mm -hmm. This is my hope. Okay, now, I was playing this piece. It's called The End of the World. And it has these big chords and all these things. And suddenly, the keyboard separated into different levels in the air. This chord was on this level. Another one was on another one. It became, it was like impossible to, because I wasn't playing keys. All the notes needed for that chord were raised up into another dimension. And the next one was, was raised up into another one. So I was playing a 3D keyboard. Wow. Three dimensions, well, be more than, you know, yeah. multi-dimensional <laughs> yeah. keyboard. Yeah. Okay, yeah, now, this is great fun. The real tragedy about me is that the piano world doesn't want to know anything about this. See, this does not belong to when you're playing Chopin and Mozart and Bach. It cannot happen. Yeah. It's not supposed to happen. And being, you know... I mean, un unfortunately, my compositions are not of the same quality as Mozart and Beethoven and Bach. So, were they that, I might have had a chance 
But um, I wanted to ask you, have you had a similar experience playing anyone else's music? Or is oh, it no, no, purely no. through this No, no, no. Way it, of playing it, it, this you, is only yeah. possible with continuous music. Yeah. It's not possible with any other kind of music. The, and people think, oh, I mean, I've, it's taken me 45 years to reach this level. I, I, I learned continuous music, and after four, four years, I'm playing at these inhuman speeds. My body will do this, my body will do that, I can separate this. I can move, I can shift my body around without anyone even seeing it, that it's moved. I can shift and take the center, the center of gravity from my body and move it around so that the keys get weight, even though my body is placed here. Yeah. I can move it. All, all this sort of stuff, it takes years, years and years and years. So, uh, but it would be nice if people started to try because the great tragedy is that uh, this music will die when I go if there's no other students who who can reach a certain high level to continue. And you've started to teach, am I well, correct I, in I've that? Tried, you, yeah. but like, it, this requires serious study and mm. I'm beginning more and more to think that what I need is, is like a, a Zen monastery where people will come well, and learn amazing. to become the greatest pianist in the world. Um, and Does it have to be piano to do this music? Probably, but I can't uh, I think people can reach similar states without with other instruments. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I think what the piano, this particular technique, requires that the two hands are doing different things and are operating on something that's on the same plane, one one level. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, forgetting yeah. what I just so told you about the yeah. <laughs> no longer being one. At the level first anymore. phase of the experience. Right, right. But yeah. let's say basically yeah. we're talking uh, because. This is a physical technique, and it's it's holistic. You can't change something. You can't change the instrument and expect the effect to be the same. I think you can get other effects with other instruments. There won't be this effect, but you will have you know something will be going on, something fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, but we live in a phen phenomenal air age of, of music. Um, there are so many phen phenomenal musicians happening, and on all. On all, all instruments, all levels of stuff. In opera, the singers are becoming like people would have died a hundred years ago to hear somebody sing opera the way they can do it now. Mm. I mean, they're incredible. They're sort of, I think, in a way, opera singers are sort of basically also entering this state of this this high, a higher state of being, um, because I can hear that they're doing multiple dimensions in their mm. in their voice. Whereas previously, the opera singer simply had to do a beautiful tone. Mm. Okay? Now the opera singers have to actually make the universe bend and cry and make tears yeah. fall from the air with their voice. And they do it. Mm. So I would say that uh, we are living in a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, mu musical era. Yeah. If you were to look back and, and where certain cultures are more spiritually engaged and uh, aware, uh -huh. but like Aboriginal music or something, where it's all about connecting and being in a certain headspace, yeah. um, would you say that they could have had a similar experience? Well, yes, absolutely. And I think that continuous music would never have been existed had not... Uh, the music of Bali infiltrated into the Western culture in the in the 60s, uh -huh. you know, uh, and continuous music uh, in the very beginning 
the the uh, the effect of it was was very uh, sort of psychedelic and, and and spiritual and related to the way it is actually on on the island of Bali, that it is a spiritual event, mm. you know, and so I think that that spirituality has has remained in the music. It hasn't disappeared, fortunately. Yeah. What I've done, I have built on what others have done before me. I simply took it to another level with the piano, but it was all started by others. The inspiration came from other people, yeah. even though uh, the, the end became different because I wanted the piano to be... I wanted to do with the piano what the minimalist composers of the United States did with uh, multiple musicians. So this required real technique yeah. and had to be you know, developed. just for that. Mm -hmm. it, it's impossible to explain in words, but uh, over the years, it it's, a, it's a holistic energy that uh, repairs and, and regenerates the body. I, I don't know, but I have a feeling that people are so afraid, especially classical pianists, They're, they absolutely revile the thought of playing continuous music or, or studying it. And this for me is really sad, not, well it's sad on several levels, of course, Egoistically, this is sad because it's sort of like, you know, oh, nobody's interested in what I'm doing, boo-hoo. Of course, there's that element, me. But there's another element, that these pianists will never, never, never have an intimate relationship with the piano keyboards. They play music that is so beautiful and so lovely, but they have no instrument. Mm -hmm. They have no... Mm, the, their knowledge of the piano is minimal. They know almost nothing about their bodies and the piano. The hands of a pianist and the piano and the body of the pianist and the body of the piano have to become one body, one life. Mm. They can never even dream of this. And this is impossible in classical music. Mm. Even if they wanted to, they cannot do it because the music won't let them do it. Because it's not that kind of music that will, will generate this energy, this state of mind in your body. So you need continuous music in order for this to happen. It's funny, in Ukraine when I play, people recognize that I'm doing the impossible. Everyone, the old, the young, the children, everyone. But when in Europe, nobody even pays attention to it. They think I'm just playing the piano. I'll tell you what it is. It's because the people in Europe will not open their eyes until they read in the paper. If someone wrote to them, wrote in, in a magazine that yeah. Lumir Melnik does the absolutely impossible, no pianist can do this. This is physically not possible. 
then they would say, oh, yes, of course. Oh, now I hear it. If you were able, like I'm looking at you, if you were able to split yourself into two bodies and your, your other body was, sitting, was there beside you, like I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, well, that's just, okay, neat, fine. I would yeah. say, holy shit, <laughs> you know, holy smoke, I want to do that too. <laughs> or something, you know, yeah. there would be a reaction. But here with these people, yeah. there's no reaction at all. Yeah. It's like, th this is tragic for, 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 for the music world not just for me. The real last thing, for pianists, you have to understand what is Zen. Zen is very realistic. The thing is, I remember what John Cage wrote about his Zen master saying that, what's the difference between a Zen master and everybody else walking on the street? Well, they're all walking on the street except that the Zen master's feet don't touch the ground. And that's what it's like to play continuous music. There you go. That is a real insight into the mind and music of Lubomir Malnick. I want to say a thank you to him and a very warm thank you to all the artists that came and spoke with me. Manu DeLago, Emily Hall, Misha Law, Robert Raths, Emily Levinace farouche Claire M. Singer, Dave Howell, Hattis Noe. I must say a huge thank you to Adam Hinks and Alex Hobbis, the festival organisers that were on the ground, running around, making sure all the artists were happy, making sure that I had what I needed. They put on a really amazing weekend of music. It's a real triumph. So congratulations to them. Thank you for having me. And fingers crossed there will be another Hidden Notes Festival next year. And I hope that these podcast specials have given you an insight into what that weekend was like and will maybe encourage you to buy tickets for it as soon as there's any news. Thanks so much for listening to this. It's nice to do something different with the podcast. If you haven't heard the part one episode from Hidden Notes, then check it out. There's so many great artists featured. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks for having me, Hidden Notes. Thank you.